Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard, home of The Insight, a new destination for the advertising industry, where news, data stories, and inspiration live all in one place. Find it all at theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. That's theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. Uh, with me again is Doug Zanger, a senior editor with me on the Creativity Beat. Doug, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, we've also got back a frequent guest, Katie Richards, a staff writer on the Brand Marketing Beat. Katie, it's always great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back. I should start by telling everyone this is going to be dropping, I believe, on Monday, November the 5th. So if you're listening to this and you are in the United States of America, I hope you will be going to the polls on November 6th, or I hope you already voted through early voting or absentee. Uh, these midterm elections sometimes kind of drift off the radar. Although I feel like, I don't know, do you guys feel like this year maybe there was a little more attention? I feel like a little more uh, energy around the midterms than usual? Yeah, I feel like everywhere I go, I, I see you know people encouraging everyone to go out and vote more so than I normally do. Um, I feel like people are just paying a lot more attention to it these days. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be much drifting in this one. I, uh, my guess is that we'll see some pretty big record turnouts in some places. Yeah, it seems like all eyes are kind of on the millennial vote. Uh, you know, something we're traditionally, as a demographic, has had uh, some of the lowest turnout. I mean, the lowest turnout of any generational group. Uh, but in early voting, there were some crazy stats. Like I want to say in Georgia, it was up like 300 or 400 percent in terms of millennial turnout. Um, Florida, I'm guessing, uh, given a lot of the, the discussions going on out of Florida since uh, the Parkland shooting, uh, I have a feeling they'll see a big turnout, especially. And that's a very uh, tight race, uh, well, several tight races there. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But Anyway, we're not going to talk politics. I just wanted to uh, remind everybody, get out and vote on Tuesday, November 6th. And with that, let's get to uh, the news. All right. Well, it's been a pretty quiet week news-wise in the advertising world, but uh, one story I did want to touch on is Bob Greenberg uh, is stepping down as CEO of RGA uh, Bob's a you know really well-known figure. Uh, he is the namesake of RGA. Uh, or maybe it's a uh, Robert Greenberg and Associates, or R. Greenberg and Associates. I think it's a reference to him and his brother who co-founded it together. Doug, does that sound right? I think so. You're right, right. Yeah, I think 
Yeah, it's it's a reference one way or the other. I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> but RGA uh, has for many years been one of the uh, most kind of iconic and fascinating ad agencies. They still are. I mean, I'm not. It's not like they're dead. <laughs> it's not like no, no one's passing away here, closing the the doors or anything. Um, but uh, Bob Greenberg has been the the face. He's been one of like those faces of advertising, of which there are very few. Uh, these days, like when you go to Can or something like that, in terms of the people who get stopped in the street, uh, it's like him, David Droga. You know, it's like a very small number of people uh, that are kind of these celebrity figures. Uh, you know, he's been honored in just about every way that the ad industry can honor someone. He's been in this role for 40 years. Uh, and just wanted to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Katie, how would you say, you know, you've been covering, before you were covering brands too, you were also covering agencies specifically. What's kind of your your impression of RGA as an agency and how it, how it differs from the others? Yeah, I guess when I, a few years ago when I started covering agencies, they were there were like the traditional agencies, the independent agencies, and then the digital agencies. And I feel like RGA always fell under digital. But to me, that was more like they were an agency that was really pushing the boundaries when it came to using technology with their clients in really cool and interesting ways. And I think they were doing that before anyone else really was um, and before other agencies kind of caught on that, you know, technology is something they need to be thinking about. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been pretty impressed with with what they can do and the work that they put out. Well, what about you, Doug? Have you, I assume you've crossed paths with Bob at some points in your career. Right. Yeah, I, you're right. He is one of the, those very small handful of people who, you're right, get stopped in the, in the middle of the street and can. But I also think that anecdotally, when Bob Greenberg is on stage or what was on stage, you know, number one, packed houses, but number two, anecdotally, just hearing people come out saying, I actually learned a lot. That was really inspiring. And, you know, he's, he's a more low key type of person, but when he speaks and what he has to say is, you know, really important because he has seen this. And what, what I appreciate about him is that, He's appreciative of the past of his company and the origin of his company, but he's equally comfortable and very, um, you know, very on top of talking about how the company will continue to evolve and grow. And I think a good example of that is when RGA launched their venture studio in 2013. You know, you start seeing, if you start picking it apart, you start seeing some of these business decisions that are made, not necessarily creative decisions. But you think, okay, so they're they're ahead of this, or they're they're thinking about this, and they're making this a core part of their business. Um, that one of the one of the RGA people out here in Portland, Dylan Boyd, is very deeply involved with uh, RGA Ventures and some of those projects, and it, it is. It, I, I don't know if you can necessarily call them. I mean, the, cer certainly the label is they're an agency, but they are a lot more than just an agency, and they're crossing over into all these different areas. And I think that's really smart, and will continue to keep them relevant and successful. Yeah, you know, the, I should I should point out uh, that RGA got its start uh, famously making opening title sequences for movies. <laughs> I know, <laughs> just like such a weird, uh, you know. So, so between like seventy seven and nineteen. 85 is kind of considered their first phase when they were a, uh, you know, they were really an early to the front uh, computer assisted film kind of studio slash agency. Uh, they made the title sequence for Superman uh, in 1978, right. uh, which is still super iconic. Um, 
Alien, you know, they worked on Alien, Ghostbusters, Predator, like everything that, you know, all, all these iconic movies and iconic opening sequences. Uh, they they were the ones who, you know, really created that. And then they they kind of evolved from that into this digital studio that worked on, uh, they continued to work on films. Uh, you know, they worked on uh, the Home Alone and Goodfellas and Die Hard and a, a bunch of other stuff, uh, did thousands of commercials. And... Uh, and then they, you know, evolved in the mid '90s. That was when they really became an ad agency, uh, which is is you know part of their their whole thing is that every you know so many years, like nine, eight, nine years, they've kind of done a hard pivot. Uh, and the the last one, not maybe being so incredibly hard of a pivot, they've kind of evolved just as an agency, and now they're more of an incubator. I guess I would say mm-hmm. like they they help generate a lot of tech, they help launch new companies. Uh, but to me, they kind of hit their high watermark as an ad agency uh, maybe three, four years ago uh, when they were doing the work on Beats uh, that was really blowing up. Of course, over the last uh, to like 10 years, they they were the pretty much the creators of the Nike Plus uh, system, which was this completely game-changing thing, you know, for a brand to create uh, a whole digital ecosystem, you know, that could follow you everywhere. Nike Plus is still a big part of, you know, how they're using smartwatches and all that stuff. And that was a, a lot of that was RGA, uh, really building that. But, but you know, in terms of their their ads, ads, like being a hardcore ad shop, I thought their work on Beats uh, was was really fantastic. And, um, and then they kind of got quiet over the last few years. Like to Katie's point, I think they really leaned into being a truly digital agency, uh, and the only downside of that is people like us just don't see their output quite as often, right? Like they, right. it's, it's. I'm sure they're doing a ton. I mean, I know they're doing a ton, um, but uh, but yeah, it's just not quite. And I think they're somewhat proud of that fact that they're not like the you know big cinematic ad agency necessarily. But um, so so let's talk a little bit about uh, the the changes. Uh, so he Bob is stepping down as CEO. He is going to become uh, chairman. Or, I mean, I think he's already chairman, but he's going to stay on as chairman through 2020. So he's not going anywhere, but Bob is certainly going to be, um, you know, this is still a big turning point for the agency. Sean Lyons, who's been, uh, I believe, their U.S. president, uh, is going to be stepping up as CEO. Uh, They're moving a few other folks. Uh, Barry Waxman, who's probably one of their best known, uh, you know, iconic leaders. He's their Mm -hmm. uh, global chief strategy officer. He's going to be becoming a... uh, uh, vice chair uh, with uh, their chief operating officer Stephen Plumley, so uh, it, you know quite a quite a big shuffle. This is, you know, I guess we're heading into yet another one of these transitional phases uh, for RGA, uh, and it'll be curious to see, you know, how much of this, uh, how it keeps going. They they've had some setbacks le- recently. They they lost uh, Nick Law, uh, who was kind of his, I, I would say, kind of his heir apparent. Uh, he was this very charismatic. Uh, creative leader, uh, and and uh, Nick went to Publicis. Is that that? Yep. That right? Yep. Chief Creative oh. Officer at Publicis. Yep. So uh, you know they've 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 lost some really high ranking folks like that, um, but at the same time, I mean they they seem like they're in pretty good shape, and it's good to see that Bob won't uh, won't be um, you know stepping away entirely. I have to tell you guys my favorite Bob Greenberg story, even though it's like really. Uh, un, unimportant, but we we were. I was at uh, one of the <laughs> the dinners that they hosted at Cannes, where they notoriously like take a bunch of friends and journalists and whatever up into the hills outside of the city. <laughs> it's yeah, very I've hard. been to that. Yeah, so I've like, been to that. I call it the kidnapping because it's very hard to like 
get back. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful dinner. Uh, yes. The comp- company was fascinating, but after a certain number of hours, you're kind of ready to to go back. And um, so anyway, I, I ended up sitting at the table with Bob, and uh, and we he and I had never really spoken before, you know, in a conversational level, and and we ended up talking about raccoons. He has like this upstate cabin, and raccoons had been a real problem, and being someone who is from Alabama. I've had many experiences <laughs> with raccoons and how to like, I'm sure. get, get rid of them and keep them away. And no one else at the table had any, <laughs> like any, <laughs> any opinions on raccoons. It's like all these, you know, uh, not, not just like New York creatives, but people from around the world. And, and this woman uh, from South America just looks over at me at some point and goes, what is a raccoon? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess not everybody has these. <laughs> so, and the, and then I think we talked about his neighbor uh, that he had also spoken about some of these issues with is Claire Danes. <laughs> so, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We're, oh. we're circles. Yeah. That, so, anyway, well, congrats to uh, Bob on stepping into a quasi retirement, and we'll be interesting to see what happens with RGA. All right, it's time to move on to our favorite part of the show each week: ads worth watching. We've got a few ones to, to talk about today. Not so much because they're amazing ads. I mean, they're good, but because of the yeah. conversations I think they've generated. Uh, so tell us tell us about uh, the, the first one on our docket here, Doug. Uh, this would be the remake of Love Actually. Is that is that the one you're referring to? <laughs> SAS? Yes. Yes. Uh, so Scandinavia Air, Scandinavian Airlines, formerly known as Scandinavian Air Service, uh, created a three-plus-minute film using a mix of actors and real people in Copenhagen. And the whole idea was simply the emotion of people uh, arriving from a trip, whether that is for pleasure, whether that's for something a little bit more serious. Um, but there's some very nice... Uh, there's some very nice copy in this because it could be very easy to, to get... Uh, you know, you can, you can get maudlin with it. It's very easy to, you know, undersell the importance of arriving. And, you know, I mean, I just know when we, when we arrive in Philadelphia, my mother will start crying and I, you know, and I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a little jaded uh, on it, but, you know, I think that this was actually done really well because there was some nice diversity of people, diversity of apparently situations that one could imply in watching it. But I think a lot of it is supported really well uh, with the copy and the voiceover, which I think is something that we will listen to here shortly. What did we bring back? Did we find what we were looking for? Was the world different than we thought? Was there a realization at the end of our journey? Maybe that we don't have many journeys left. Or that we left someone important behind. So... You know, again, because you're watching uh, people coming out of the arrivals terminal and hugging and kissing each other and being in love and tearing up, it sparked some uh, immediate recollection of, as you mentioned, of 2003's rom-com classic Love Actually, Mm -hmm. uh, which opens with a scene at Heathrow Airport of uh, families uniting and and you hear... um, 
Hugh Grant talking about how love is all around us, uh, which, of course, is a theme of the movie and a song. Um, and the uh, the the scene, actually, the, is, I didn't know this till we were writing this, that, that it inspired the movie, uh, that the writer-director was hanging out at LAX watching all these people uh, in Arrivals, and it, it inspired him to write a movie about crisscrossing, uh, you know, kind of love stories. And... Uh, and honestly, I'm just using this as an excuse to have my one of my favorite annual conversations. Does love actually hold up? Uh, we are <laughs> we are we are going yes. into it's officially Christmas season now that Halloween's over. <laughs> it's right, November. Right. It's like November first or whatever. Uh, Katie, uh, yes. does love actually hold up? Yes, 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 it does. <laughs> Does it? Oh, though? you're you're very <laughs> you're fan. very you're very enthusiastic. Okay, yeah. another another layer of the onion pulled back. I like this. It's such a good movie. I feel like every time I watch it, I just like feel good and feel happy about people loving each other and being happy. And that doesn't happen to me often. I'm not a lovey happy person. So I I don't yeah. know. It just it strikes something in me every time I watch it. I I can't get enough of it. That, that it's funny because I was literally <laughs> thinking like like Katie is such a not romantic, you know? It's like you've got this just cold you know, oh, no. steely exterior. No, I'm just kidding. That's, I'm just kidding. that's no, but fair. but I mean, I, you know, I I would say you are not a like emotional romantic type person, right? Yeah, that's not fair. like I'm not over yeah. the top. I'm very, you know, I don't know. You're not Reserved. daytime Emmy like you're not daytime Emmy like I am. Sometimes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good way to put the, it. I like that. Yeah, Katie's on the defensive now. I have emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. Um. But, uh, I, you know, I rewatched it recently, like last fall, and there's just so much, I would say, problematic about it now. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of weird power dynamics. Right. Yep. Um, there's you know, there's the prime minister in love with his intern, uh, which, of course, was one big, weirdly romanticized uh, Bill Clinton thing, which and again, culture has kind of come around on that on you know our opinions of of Bill Clinton's relationship, uh, and yeah, just the power dynamics of that that one's really weird. A lot of the relationships are really odd. There's the boss and his secretary or whatever she is having an affair, and like I I don't. It was like I remember watching it and being like, what a heartwarming movie. And then I watched it again recently. And I was just like, man, what a what a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think I think the spirit of the film still stays intact, but I think the execution of it, I mean, not that any of that was right in the first place. Uh, but we weren't necessarily thinking on thinking about that on on that level. Um I, you know, I mean it's it's fine. <laughs> you know Whatever I, guys. I think it's great. <laughs> And I and I like Hugh Grant, and I really like Richard Curtis. Notting Hill is, I think, you know that that's my that's my little rom com. I don't want to admit that I really love that movie. Movie, um, so I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go over to Katie's camp on this one. Yay! Um, yeah, I I, I, I think the know. the part that disappointed me, I think, and that would be 100 percent different if they made this movie in 2018, is like Bill Nighy's character is always going to be my favorite part of that whole movie. You know, the aged rock star mm-hmm. being dragged, kicking and screaming into creating this garbage Christmas song. And he, of course, handles it super well and just decides to turn it into this big uh, joke. Um, but his relationship with his manager is such a, 
a kind of a nice thing and such a different twist on romance, um, mm-hmm. you know, and a, a friendship and that. But they also there's this kind of weird like. Uh, like just just below the surface homophobia in the way it approaches it, where it's just like I'm not, I, you know, I'm not. This isn't me, like being romantic with you. You know, it's like they just keep drawing these distinctions, which maybe is somewhat accurate for two dudes, especially of that age. Uh, but yeah, it's just like there's ones where the, the, there's some scenes there where I'm just kind of like, come on, guys, just let them like, you know, let them love each other. And it doesn't have to mean anything. It's just like, let it let it kind of be what it is. I don't know. There's just, a, it's interesting dynamics that I think, I, this movie's also like 15 years old. <laughs> so, you know, right. it's, it's, it's okay for it to show its age a little bit. Um, but anyway, all right. That was our excuse, uh, completely manufactured excuse uh, to talk about weather. <laughs> light. So tell wait, me if, if wait, you think wait, love no, actually holds up. No, right. I want people to write in. If, if, well, if I know. Podcast, podcast at adweek.com. Uh, tell us if you think. That, no, that's actual. fine. But we we forgot to mention that Emma Thompson is a world treasure. Yes. So I'm just I'm just going to throw that out there. I think she's the greatest uh, ever. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's that that tips it over to Katie's side. Yep. Again. <laughs> like Welcome to Katie's. the good side. Yes, <laughs> I am a big Emma Thompson fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. She holds up 100. Uh, percent All right, let's talk about one other ad. This is one uh, that. Uh, really struck me because it's not like we found it when it was brand new. Uh, this is, and, and also it's not something necessarily that would have crossed our desk in the first place. This was uh, a fire safety video created by a uh, a group called UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute. Uh, not a brand that many people probably know. Uh, UL, I think, it stands for Underwriters Laboratories, uh, and so obviously it's an it's a group that works within, you know, firefighting and probably in insurance and stuff to help come up with uh, fire safety advice. Anyway, they've been doing a bunch of research into closing your door uh, at night and basically how when doors are closed, bedroom doors, you know, we're talking about, uh, that you're much more, you're much safer from fire, that there's a lot, it takes a lot longer for a fire to spread through a house. And, uh, and, you know, in general, it's just, it says, and it dramatically extends your time to escape from a fire uh, versus when all the doors are open. And so to convey this, because I don't think it's quite common sense. I mean, I'll stop there. Like Katie, what, I mean, when you heard about this, A, I guess, do you, do you close bedroom door and like, did it, would you even occur to you that either could be less or more safe in a fire? Yeah. I mean, I always sleep with my bedroom door closed. But I guess I just always have growing up, too. Um, But, yeah, I never would have thought that, like, one way or another it would have helped or hurt in an instance of a fire. It just never really crossed my mind. Yeah. And, like, you know, personally, I I never, as an adult, I did. When I had roommates in college, of course, you know, close your door. But, like, as an adult, I I never lived with roommates. So I always had doors open. Then you have kids and you want to be able to hear if your kids get up in the night and if they're screaming. Um, and so, you know, we'd have our door open. So I, I'm a door open person, which apparently means I'm going to die a horrible death because, uh, yeah, this so basically what this video shows is they took a group of people and they asked them, you know, do you sleep with your doors open or closed? And most, most keep them open as apparently almost 71% of Americans do. And, uh, and then they asked him, do you think it'd make a difference in a fire? A lot of people thought, oh, door open. You know, I can get out of a fire easier. I can hear the smoke alarm easier. And so then they did this really interesting demonstration where they set fire to a 
kind of a fake house that they staged and they toured people through. And then they uh, and then they set fire to it. And then in this big dramatic reveal, they kind of drop the front of the house, like basically lower the wall so that you can see a cross cut of the whole house. And you see that the the kid's bedroom where they close the door is fine pretty much. And the rest of the house is absolutely torched. It's black, you know, and uh, including the bedroom that had the door open. So let's listen to a little of the dialogue where they're trying to explain some of these issues to these uh, people. And, and you can kind of hear how they how they were surprised uh, to learn some of this. We want people to be as prepared as possible and understand the importance and how little time you have and what that simple barrier can provide to you and your family should you have a fire. I want you guys to throw some hard hats on and some safety glasses and at least poke your heads in the windows or you can even walk in the hallway if you want. Give me a word or phrase to describe what you just saw. Anxiety. Frightening. Terrifying. I really didn't expect anything like this. I'll ask you one last time. In the event of a fire, are you safer sleeping with the doors open or the doors closed? Without a doubt, the door closed. Definitely with the doors closed, and from now on, the doors will be shut at night. <laughs> Definitely closed. Closed. Definitely closed. And I'm surprised by it. Doug, I, I, I thought this was one of the most effective PSAs maybe I've ever seen. I would tend to agree with you on this because I, I was thinking about this, and it's one of those ads and PSAs where it's hidden in plain sight, where it's something that... You know, most people know that oxygen feeds a fire and air feeds a fire. And, you do, you know, there are fire doors at offices. There are fire doors, you know, everywhere. And you don't necessarily think of that as a barrier in your own home. So I think this is something that um, in a very simple way, and again, going back to the idea that the simplest messages are generally the most effective, uh, it's one of those aha moments, and my guess is I know it. You know, it sparked. I saw it, and I thought, "Do you know we we keep one of the doors closed?" And to your point, David, you know, my son, you know, keeps his door open because he just does. And so, you know, the, this was a really good reminder. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just it, it it really was one of the best because it just it's it's really clear demonstration. It's real clear cause and effect. And yeah, extraordinarily well done, especially in its simplicity. And Katie, you basically just gave yourself a high five and you're like, good job doing it right this whole time. <laughs> right. Well, now I feel like I want to tell, you know, I want to share this with people. I want to tell my family and my friends, you know, this is this is something you should think about. Like a, a lot of my families in California where there are tons of wildfires and now I'm kind of like, oh, here, this is great information for you guys. Um so yeah, it, it, I think it, it got its message across for sure. There, there's some other really fascinating points kind of hit, like not hidden in here, but referenced in here, uh, and they're all interwoven. One is that really shocked me but makes total sense is the fact that houses are much more flammable than they used to be. So it said in the, in the last 40 years, between changes in floor plans, um, and this is something if you've bought a home ever or if you've toured homes like – you see that modern homes are a lot more open and lots of, you know, open hallways, whereas like older homes have a lot more doors, 
like dining rooms had doors mm-hmm. back then and it's just it's just layouts you don't see anymore um but then also you know our furniture is garbage now right it's all it's all just cheap uh quasi disposable it's not you know thick uh durable materials really and lord knows what fabrics are being used and stuff so basically they said that over the last 40 years the time that you have to escape a fire between the fire alarm and and not being able to escape has gone down from 17 minutes to three minutes. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, Crazy. that that stat alone, because, man, you know, doors doors aside, that's not much time. And, you know, and, and maybe it's maybe the doors being open is factored into that. But, like, I have to admit that stat and this whole thing have made us have some really serious conversations uh, here at our house about stuff where in the back of your head you're always like, yeah, we should have a fire escape plan, like for our kids and for ourselves. And, you know, we should probably come up with something. But, you know, we'll get to it. We we have smoke detectors, probably. They're probably working. <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, you don't really stop. And having that conversation is really uncomfortable. Uh, because, you know, you're talking about, like, yourself and your kids being, like, burned alive. It is... It's not a pleasant conversation. And mm-hmm. so I, I think a lot of times, like anything, like life insurance, I think we talked about last week, right? That, you, you know, there's no good time to talk about, like, if we die or, like, if we're about to die. Like, it's so uh, this really, I I mean, I've written about so many PSAs in my life. And, Doug, I know you and Katie, you have to, like, we covered PSAs constantly. And usually it's like, this one says you really shouldn't drink and drive. And it's like... Yeah, I mean, I I don't, and I, and I wouldn't, but you know, I'm glad that they're telling other people not to. But usually, I watch a PSA and I'm like, yeah, domestic abuse is bad. Agreed, and I'm glad you're running this. Um, but I never feel like the target audience, right? Because I I don't do a lot of evil or or poor decision making. Uh, and this one, man, just cut right to the core with me. I was just like, ooh. Yeah, no, I don't do any of those things. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so congrats to uh, to the agency, Allison and Partners, to uh, to the organization, uh, and apparently firefighters love this video, and they are starting to kind of become the advocates for it. They're taking it around. They're showing it to community groups. I mean, they're really because yeah, it's like everyone who watches this, like you have to turn to everyone around you or share it online. It's been viewed eight point five million times on Facebook alone. Uh, and almost all of that's organic. I think they said only point zero three or point zero six percent of their views were paid. The rest was all organic, and it's been viewed a total of like nine million times across all of its channels. And that's because you have to share it. To Katie's point, you have to be like, "Do you guys do this? Like, to, to, what's everybody else been doing?" Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, just congratulations, fantastic PSA, one one of the best I've probably ever seen. And with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for our big discussion of the week. Did you know that 62% of people reading about marketing are also reading about science? Find more data stories like this in The Insight, a Flipboard destination for advertising industry news, data, and inspiration. Find it all at theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. That's theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. All right. It's time for our big discussion of the week. This week, it's our cover story, our annual Brand Genius Awards. These are 
Ad Week's, I would say, probably the biggest award we give every year. It's our uh, kind of top, I think it literally used to be called, like many years ago, used to just be called Brand Marketer of the Year. Uh, it's been uh, Brand Genius, I think, since like 2012 uh, or so, but it, it's where we honor some of the brightest, most successful uh, brand marketers, and uh, and then we also name. I think most excitedly, we, we named a, we name a brand visionary every year. Katie, who did we name this year? Who's on the cover? This year, it is Serena Williams, the greatest of all time. Yeah, she's amazing. Yes, that is a. Fantastic choice. I don't think anyone's going to disagree. Uh, she is everywhere. I mean, not only is she incredible, is she inspiring on the court, uh, off the court, uh, but man, she is in every ad on earth, right? <laughs> when we were doing our agency of the year uh, reviews and like going through everyone's reel, we were joking that it, like we should have a bingo card with Serena Williams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Doug, uh, you are a big fan, I know. Uh, tell, tell me some of the reasons you think Serena really stands out, not just as an athlete, but as someone we could consider a brand visionary. I think uh, you're right. The accomplishments on and off the court, I, I think she is about uh, as complete a human being, a uh, public figure as I've ever seen, because she's just always been very honest. And I think that that's something, you know, that's something that you don't necessarily see a lot of times. Um, you know, she's very directly involved with everything that she does. She, you know, clearly she has great people around her, but at the same time, I just know this anecdotally, she's intimately involved in much of what she, uh, what she does and what, uh, what happens in, in the marketing world. So she's, she's always been really savvy. She's always been very uh, smart about how she has taken marketing opportunities. Uh, she has strong opinions. She's not afraid to share them. She's just very honest. She can be very emotional. Uh, and, and I think in a very positive way. Uh, and it's just the bottom line is it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are, or what, <laughs> what walk of life you're, you're in or from. She's just so damn inspiring. She just, she absolutely is. You just, you, you can't look at her and go, uh, you know, I just, I think she's just, you know, a wonderful ambassador for the brands that she works for. But also, most importantly, she's a great ambassador for herself and she's a great ambassador for humanity. Let's uh, talk about a few of the brands uh, that she works uh, that she works on uh, or works with that she's an endorser for. Um, because man, lucky them, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like no doubt. There is no no better get. Uh, there, there's some that are more obvious, uh, Nike, uh, Gatorade, uh, but Chase. You know, she did a really incredible uh, ad for uh, I think Droga Five made that one. Katie, am I remembering yeah, right? Yeah, that sounds right. But they don't quote the, me on it. <laughs> it's be. literally a podcast. <laughs> sure, let's go so. with that. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, no, the uh, so she did an ad uh, with her uh, with her baby daughter, um, basically uh, reading the lyrics to "Mama Said Knock You Out," uh, which made for an interesting uh, combo. Uh, and I mean, just a, a, a fantastic ad. Let's, let's listen to a little bit of this one. This is uh, uh, the. Mama said, knock you out at uh, featuring Serena Williams from Droga 5 uh, for Chase. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years, rocking my peers, putting suckers in fear, making the tears rain down like a monsoon, explosions overpowering. Over the competition, I'm towering. 
But uh, that is actually not uh, my favorite Serena Williams ad uh, of the year, even though it was quite great. Uh, Wyden Kennedy Portland uh, for Nike uh, created Belief, uh, which is uh, just uh, this perfect combination of found and uh, not found footage but you know original footage of her of Serena Williams dad uh, coaching her and as he's describing her uh, you know just teaching her the basics I mean she's very very young and you're seeing this footage from her career and and the moment she went through uh, just just a powerful ad it gets me I don't know it's one of those where like I don't know why it gets me. Maybe it's because I'm a father with a daughter or, you know, I don't know. But I think just as a human, it just gets me right. It gets that like that thing where you watch an ad, you're like, oh, okay. oh I'm a little, <laughs> little preclimped. Uh, Katie, do you have any uh, any Serena favorites from the past year? Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I like both of those. Um, I will say you know, outside of the ads themselves, I think some of the stuff she's been doing with Nike, uh, her fashion collaborations with them, working with designers to kind of style the um, clothing that she wears on the court, that famous black cat suit that she had um, designed by Nike. And it was actually specially designed for her to help with blood clots. She she had um, quite a quite serious blood clot after she gave birth to her daughter. And I thought that was just really cool, a way for her to kind of really get involved with a brand and work so closely with them on designing something that was good for her on the court, both like just the way it looked and to help her with her performance and just like keep her healthy and just kind of showing the broad range of things that she can do. Um, One thing I also think is really cool about Serena that I didn't know until reading this profile is that she invests in a lot of companies as well. Mm -hmm. And she has a focus on African-American women and entrepreneurs. And she has, you know, investments in, you know, like 30 companies or something like that. And I think that's, you know, pretty cool. Um, Well, we could talk about uh, Serena Williams all day, but I want to make sure that we have uh, plenty of of other uh, time to talk about some of the other honorees in this year's Brand Genius lineup. each year, we also uh, give an honor to a nonprofit that we think is doing some of the best work in kind of the crossover space of marketing and advocacy this year. It is Girls Who Code, an organization of which I am tremendously a passionate supporter uh, and try to uh, kick some money to them each year, although I'm sure I'm a drop in the bucket compared to some of the Silicon <laughs> Valley leaders that have really supported this uh, this group. Uh, but creating this nationwide uh, program uh, for girls to learn coding and um my hope is that they'll continue to kind of roll the age lower uh, that, that right now it's uh, I think it starts around sixth grade. Um, but the reality is like girls are really into it in like fourth grade. Uh, you know, I'm seeing this all, uh, Try all first grade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like when that interest level starts uh, and, you know, we really had to look around for resources because my daughter got so into it so early and my son too. But, you know, it's just what what an amazing organization. So congratulations to them on uh, winning our Brand Save Award for uh, the Best Advocacy Group. Uh, but let's talk about some of the others. Uh, Fernando Machado made a – he is a two-time winner uh, for Brand Genius, but I believe previously he was with Dove uh, when we awarded him quite a few years ago. Uh, now he is you know, well-known for being the CMO of Burger King. Uh, and man, what, what a... Talk about a brand comeback. Uh, you know, Burger King famously in the 
I want to say when when was the Crispin work, Doug? Like mid two thousands, something like that. Yeah, it was like yeah. around two thousand five, two thousand seven. I feel like was the subservient chicken, right? Uh, you know, just every everything Burger King did, uh, Whopper sacrifice, like all these amazing controversial and cool things and it was everywhere and then and then cpb uh you know my memory's foggy on the details i think they just got fired or maybe the cmo changed and uh and suddenly burger king became one of the worst advertisers on earth oh (laughs) the worst those shitty steven tyler ads and just and in fact in in fact uh, Fernando, uh, he he pointed some of those some of those out, and I'd forgotten just how awful they were. But when you listen to him speak, I love listening to him go through the history of Burger King's advertising and marketing because he he pretty much yeah he he calls out some of that just awful stuff that happened. It just it had no point. It had absolutely no point, and he breaks it down very specifically as to why, which I think is fascinating. And and you know, and it's great to hear, especially from a market leader, okay, this really sucked, and here's why, and here's how we fixed it. Yeah, I feel like the thing that, that Fernando was was ahead of the curve on uh, with Burger King and now is quite common is, is it, you know, penetrating into culture uh, and really becoming part of culture and driving culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that Burger King certainly wasn't doing. I would argue they weren't really doing under CPB. That might be a mildly controversial thing in the ad field, but like... I felt like a lot of uh, a lot of Crispin stuff back then was innovative and really cool. If you're in advertising, um, mm, mm-hmm. but it felt it felt very like like the kind of thing that you show off to your friends and that will win it can. But I don't really know. I don't. I don't think any human uh, who doesn't work in some advertising related field could tell you what subservient chicken is. You know, it's just such a such an inside baseball thing. Whereas now, you know, they do their um, net neutrality uh, stunt, you know, Whopper neutrality, where they, you know, started limiting the the number of, you know, how long you waited for a Whopper to kind of prove that paying more shouldn't equal faster service. Uh, you know, that thing became the the most shared Burger King ad of all time. Uh, their scary clown night uh, that they that started in Spain and became a global initiative, kind of making fun of McDonald's and offering free Whoppers to anyone who dressed as a clown on Halloween. You know, all these things they do, uh, and I, I think I've mentioned on here before that Fernando, like, doesn't like that I call them stunts, but they, I mean, they are, and that's not bad. That's not a negative. He just sees it as marketing. He's like, it's not stunts, just that's what PR is. That's what marketing is in 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. But Katie, I feel like they've, they, you know, they were kind of early into this idea that now we're seeing, like, all the best brands, you know, Nike and everybody else are really that's kind of how you define whether you're an effective marketer or not is whether you're able to really affect culture and generate these conversations, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think they really kicked that off and we've seen a lot of that recently, just as recently as the Nike work with Colin Kaepernick. I think, you know, obviously that probably would have happened one way or another, but I think Burger King really started that trend of, um, you know, getting people to talk about things that really matter and changing culture in different ways. Now, another... Uh, marketing campaign that certainly penetrated culture was uh, Dilly Dilly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it solid did. segue. Um, <laughs> so, I love, uh, I love Katie's, Katie's reaction wrote, to that. <laughs> uh, Katie, you wrote one of our brand genius uh, honorees, wrote up one of them. Uh, tell us about uh, the Bud Lights uh, honoree. Yeah, so I wrote about Andy Goler, um, who is 
who you can thank for the Dilly Dilly campaign along with Wyden Kennedy, New York. Um, so, you know, one of the cool things about Andy is that he's worked at Anheuser-Busch for about 38 years. Um, Jesus. So he is very well-versed in the beer industry. He worked at Bud Light uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. And he spent a lot of time also working in the craft beer field. So one thing that was really interesting when we were talking is he was saying, you know, I kind of I started to see this wave of craft beers coming up and millennials thinking about the different choices that they could have. And they didn't they didn't necessarily want a Bud Light or a Budweiser. They wanted craft beers. They wanted things that were small batch. Um, so he kind of had this edge coming into the Bud Light role, knowing what millennials were looking for. And he came up with this great dilly dilly campaign that has just been everywhere um, from you know, the masters to everywhere else. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. The Super Bowl, even the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I mean, it's what, what was fascinating about, it, and I think often gets lost in the discussion of Dilly Dilly is that, um, it is, it is an entire campaign built around the premise that when you bring a drink to a party that you love, but many other people might not love that it's kind of a, a jerk move, right? That yeah. you're just you're you're not being a good friend, and so that was the premise of the opening ad of the of the campaign was that you know everyone's bringing their favorite beer you know bringing Bud Light to this royal thing, and then one guy brings a I think a, like some kind of autumnal mead that he's really been into lately, <laughs> like and there and that's when he ends up in the pit of you know misery or whatever. Um, but I have to admit that that has stuck with me so much, like because I have so many friends. I if they're listening, I love you all. You're wonderful people. But, you know, it's like they'll show up and they'll be like, I brought this, you know, like salt watermelon goza with yeah. hints of pumpernickel, you know. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, did you – do you have any IPAs or anything? <laughs> like, is there something it's like – <laughs> and, I, and I try not to be that person too. It's just like I brought this really obscure thing that no one else wants. It's like that story that got passed around on Twitter about the guy who put poured vinegar into all the juices at a party. Do you know what I'm talking about, Katie? No, I haven't heard that. It was like one of those weird viral stories that this guy just like poured vinegar into all these juices sitting out at a party, Ew. and Gross. just to try That's to convince not right to try to convince people that vinegar is really delicious and stuff. And he like convinced this woman to drink oh, it, geez. and she like she tries it. And he goes like, well, "What do you taste?" How does it taste? And she goes, I don't know, like salad dressing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, famous. That's like the extremes of how bad people can get. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Andy is a fascinating guy. He He's just like so happy. That's, yeah, he really <laughs> is. And he's facing, honestly, one of the hardest jobs of anyone in marketing. I mean, he's he, Bud Light is so, so, so big. You know, it is it is something like two or three times the size of its second competitor, uh, you know, of the number two beer. It is, it is far and away the number one beer. And they have nothing but they they have like they only have something to lose right by th- all these trends the explosion in craft brewing over the last uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of new breweries opening every year and when you're number 1 by that much and you you are the mainstream uh that's stressful but this dude like seems really into it <laughs> yeah no he he said that quite a bit he was like you know i tell the team all the time that working at bud light isn't for the faint of heart like we're the leader and if we're not thinking if we're not uncomfortable and we're not thinking about how we can change things and do things differently then we've already you know lost and 
he's always pushing people to like come up with the next big idea and he's jazzed about it all the time. Uh, we've also got, um, you know, I, we, I'm not going to make you listen to our summaries of every single person. You should definitely check out adweek.com and look at the brand genius lineup for this year. Uh, we've got honorees from Tide. Of course, it was a great year for Tide. Uh, good rebound from some kind of negative PR discussion around Tide Pods to creating, you know, one of the best, maybe the best ad campaign of the Super Bowl. Uh, and really kind of getting back into the consumer consciousness in a, in a way that was quite positive. Uh, American Express, Toyota, FX uh, from the media side. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Peloton. So Carolyn Tish Blodgett mm. is on there from Peloton. Katie, I have to admit, like all these kind of fitness organizations, the Orange Theories and, and everything, they all kind of blend together for me. But what, Peloton, I know, is a huge like as we reported once a cultish type smash hit what 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 yeah. is their what is their thing so they have if you live in new york they have a, a cycling studio that you can go to but a lot of it is people buy the bikes the peloton bikes and they're not cheap they're pretty expensive um but you have them in your home or wherever you know you're working out and you can watch instructors live. You can like get up at 7 a.m. and do a 7 a.m. class with a live instructor. You can do recorded sessions. Um, and it's it's kind of like a soul cycle or like a spin class you would do where they curate the music for you. They encourage you. It's like a community, but you can do it from the comfort of your own home if you have the means to buy one of the bikes, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have this crazy following of people that just absolutely would like live and die for this brand. Um, and they've actually kind of relied on the fans of the brand to do a lot of the marketing and spreading the word about the brand uh, just because the, the, everyone loves it so much. It's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I definitely, again, encourage everyone to check out this year's Brand Genius lineup. Congratulations to the brand's uh, there's still more. I didn't even get around to mentioning Skittles, Google Cloud, Aryan American Eagle. Uh, so lo- lots of great brands to read about on there. Uh, tremendous amount of work put into this uh, by our colleague Robert Clara on the back end, um, one of our senior editors on the brand marketing beat. Really, this is a labor of love for him each year uh, and to the writers and editors who put in a lot of work on that. Uh, but it's a great list. Really enjoyed it. Uh, so uh, check, check those out. And that's uh, that's all the time we got. Katie, thanks so much for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, and Doug, always a pleasure. Indeed it is. Thank you. All right. And uh, hey, remember, uh, go vote. Go vote. Go vote. Amen. All right. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was edited by Lane McGivney and produced by Anna Fernando. Audio production by Josh Rios. Thank you, Lane, Anya, and Josh. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews and ratings, they mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week. 